0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Everything we we need f- to succeed in, in life, and marriage, and family, and fellowship, and in, in our work, it's in the scriptures, and the Bible best interprets the Bible. If you're reading something confusing, what you need to do is read more, look before the thing you're reading, and then look beyond the thing you're reading, but stay in the context. Usually, your questions will be answered.
0: today's broadcast, we have a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, The Wedding, the Temple, and the Lamb. We will be looking at John chapter two in its entirety. We will have the wedding where Jesus turns water into wine and the time Jesus cleansed the temple, cracking a whip and turning over tables. So let's listen in.
1: We're gonna be focusing today on three subjects, three issues. The first will be a wedding. And it's important to note the first wedding is all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, where God made Eve from Adam, brought Eve to Adam, and the two became one. I believe Jesus officiated that wedding. It's always good to invite him to yours. And we'll be looking at a wedding today where he and his disciples were invited. The second issue is the temple. And this is kind of a surprising one. And we'll look at, well, the first temple, which most likely, well, will be tied to the future temple. We'll look at that in Revelation 21 at the very end of our study time together today. And then there's the Lamb. The Lamb takes us back. Well, last time we saw uh, Genesis 22. We'll touch on Exodus today uh, as uh, we expand that whole issue. But I believe the first sacrifice of the first lamb offered actually goes back to when Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord and sinned against him. They tried to cover themselves, realizing for the first time they were naked. They used fig leaves, which if you know anything about fig trees and fig leaves, that's about as bad a choice as you could possibly make. One of the most itchy things on the planet and, uh, and it's just a great illustration of how foolishly we try to cover our sin and how, how odd it is that we think, well, God won't notice if we just cover up. But you can never cover your sin. But God does have a plan to do that. And in that particular case, well, there were skins that were covering them. You could shear a sheep and give them a nice covering, but he didn't give them the wool, he gave them the skins. That implies the death. Well, that requires the death of an innocent lamb. I believe that's the first one then, Genesis 3:21. Well, we began our study of John a couple weeks back looking at the reason John says he wrote, it's so important to revisit it regularly. I'll do that right now with you, John 20, verse 30. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. These signs are written. John 2 bookends uh, those seven signs. He records the first and gives a prophecy, a promise of the seventh. So read with me, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is. Has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Well, third day, wedding in Canaan of Galilee. Canaan, by the way, uh, Canaan, not Canaan, is nine miles north of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. There's no mention of it in the Old Testament, but there are multiple times that we'll see its importance as we go forward. Well, this, this sign, um, the second of the seven, will, will take place in Cana as well, but this first sign takes place in Cana at a wedding where Jesus and his disciples were invited and it said they ran out of wine. Now, I don't read as much as I used to, at least outside the Bible, about the Bible. I did that a lot in the first 10 years and a little less in the next 10 and then the the third decade, you know, it was more Bible and less outside, more Bible and less outside. So that in the end, in this fourth decade of walking with the Lord and teaching his word, I'm like, it's all Bible because everything we need to know is here. Everything we, we need to succeed in, in life and in marriage and family and in fellowship and in, in our work. It's in the scriptures and the Bible best interprets the Bible. If you're reading something confusing, what you need to do is read more. Look before the thing you're reading and then look beyond the thing you're reading, but stay in the context. Usually your questions will be answered. Well, when I was reading a lot, I'd come across some very interesting and odd interpretations and ideas. One of them was, The reason these guys run out of wine is Jesus' disciples were, you know, they were like, woo, they drank a lot. And so I'm like, I know that's ridiculous, but but it's funny because there's nothing to suggest it. And I only bring it up to say a lot of outside reading, not all of it, but a lot of outside reading will be like that. We have excellent commentaries in our bookstore. They're not the only good ones, but we vetted them. So if you're getting one, you're pretty much going to be staying on track with the scripture. So if you do want things to read about the Bible, I do recommend our bookstore. Also, third day, wedding in Cana of Galilee. Galilee is primarily Gentile territory. There are lots of Jews there as well. But when you get down to Jerusalem, you're talking about Jewish territory. And, uh, and then Gentiles would gather with them at the feast and others, pursuing the Lord, wanting to connect with God through connecting with his people. We'll talk about that in uh, our n- next illustration. But um, anyway, they, the problem is presented here. They're out of wine. This is a serious issue culturally for them. And by the way, if you have daughters and They're getting married or recently got married. You probably noticed it's very expensive to have a wedding today, but the wedding usually is a Friday night party and a Saturday afternoon thing that's only three or four or five hours long. These guys spent an entire week celebrating the wedding, and it was the host's responsibility to make sure everyone was fed and everyone had everything they needed. So to run out of wine was no small thing. This is a huge problem. And so Mary, she takes note of it. She comes to Jesus and and just says, hey, they're out of wine. They have no wine. And Jesus says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? It sounds like he's being disrespectful. He isn't. The word translated woman is one of endearment and affection. He's really, he could have just said, mom, you know, but he says, woman, and what does your concern have to do with me? And then he uses this phrase, my hour has not yet come. Seven times a similar phrase will be used by Jesus. The first and second relate to our worship. We'll see it when we get to John 4. This is a preview of a a couple things that we'll be getting in. Uh, depth on as we move forward but uh, Jesus meets a woman at the well one thing leads to another they end up talking about worship that was actually Jesus leading her to the subject but anyway the hour is coming Jesus tells her John 4 23 if you want to note where it is the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In John 5, it's used twice again. Uh, Both of them related to the resurrection. So we have some Powerfully important issues, worship, which we were created for, and then, well, resurrection, which we're all headed to. And listen, John 5, 25, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John 5, 28, do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life, those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. By the way, there's no condemnation to those in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're in the category of those who've done good. What have we done good? We've trusted in him, first of all and foremost. And then any good thing that follows is our obedience to him, our walking with him, our our living for him. And so those who've done good, the resurrection of life that awaits you. If you're in Christ and Christ lives in you. Those who've done evil, rejecting him, living for themselves, thinking they'll make it on their own. The resurrection of condemnation that's a resurrection you don't want any part of. Well, the last time he uses this phrase is uh, when he speaks to the Father. I haven't given you all seven. You can look up the others for yourself. But in John 17:1, Jesus begins his high priestly prayer with the words, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Well, the problem here is dealt with by Mary coming to Jesus after telling the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. It's a seven-word crisis management seminar. And I want to say it's free. So you don't have to go to an all-day thing to learn how to deal with people in crisis or deal with your own personal crisis. The issue is very simple. You bring the need to Jesus, you do whatever he says, and you trust him with the outcome. You bring the need to Jesus, you do whatever he says, and then you can actually expect the unexpected, expect the impossible, because you wouldn't be bringing it if it was something you can handle once you're beyond yourself. Well, now you're in his world where he and he alone can demonstrate what he was purposing in the first place. So whatever he says to you, do it. It's good counsel. I encourage you to cement that one in and carry it with you at all times. Now, verse 6, there were set six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Purification was a big issue for these guys. We know they'll get on Jesus for his disciples not washing properly before they ate. And purification was more symbolic and more demonstrative than just us going and washing our hands before we eat a meal or after we eat a meal or before anything else. So, so anyway, they had these six water pots. The purpose of them was their purification because they're gathering, right, to eat and drink for a week. So uh, six stone water pots. Now, if they're 20 gallons apiece, there's 120 gallons of water. If they're 30 gallons apiece, that's 180 gallons of water. What's the difference? Somebody knows. 60 gallons. (laughs) Exactly. It's an easy question. I guess you have to be thinking like a math teacher. (laughs) But, but yeah, it's, that's actually a big deal. I mean, 60 gallons of water, okay. But 60 gallons of what's about to happen, that's a big difference. So anyway, where are we? Jesus said, verse 7, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. I want to say the first and second thing he tells them to do, very simple. He says, fill them to the brim and then draw some out. Okay, we can do that. Now he says, take some to the master of the feast. This one's going to require a bit of faith. Because, well, you have to put yourself in their shoes. They're at the wedding serving, right? And now they're going to dip some water and they're going to take it and say, here, try this. Unless God does something miraculous, this will be a very awkward moment, minute, half hour, and perhaps rest of the feast. So the point is they had to be walking by faith at this point. And we'll see that again and again and again. The phrase that stands out to me as always, while everyone was going to enjoy what Jesus created for them, the servants who had drawn the water knew exactly uh, where that water came from and what had to have transpired uh, in the bringing it. The same thing we'll see it in John 6 as he feeds 5,000 people. With five loaves and two small fish, everyone is fed. I think one of the gospel writers says they were glutted. You know, they couldn't believe they ate the whole thing. And there were leftovers. But, but everyone was fed. But the servants they saw a miracle take place as he took the bread and he blessed it and began to break it and distribute it to them so they could distribute it to the people. They saw the miracle of multiplication happen in the hands of Jesus. That's where it takes place. And the interesting thing is they not only saw the miracle, they were able to participate in it in that they were distributors of what God was doing miraculously. And I'd suggest we get to do something similar Whenever we put ourselves in a position where we're serving him by serving people. Verse 10, he said to him, this would be the master of the feast, the master of ceremonies. He says to Jesus, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. This makes total sense. You want to impress everyone from the get-go and you're figuring, well, they've been drinking now for three days and by the way, they weren't getting drunk at these weddings, at least not most people. Why? Because they had a commandment not to be drunk. And these are Jewish people who are doing their best to live by God's law. And, and so the, the point is they bring out the best first because that's when you're first celebrating. And then a day and a day and a day and a day as the week goes on. OK, break out the, the cheap stuff, you know, out of the wine cellar. So, But he says, you've kept the good wine until now Matthew Mark and Luke will all build on this picture the idea of it being that that new wine is better than old wine that's not always the case in everyone's mind if you well I don't drink personally and haven't well what year was that I think somewhere around like 1978 1979 it's been a little while and so but, but I was always told and still am that the old wine's better. I mean, anything new, it needs time, right? But, but what happens is Jesus will say new wine needs new wineskins. He'll apply it spiritually to the condition of the leaders of Israel, and he'll be basically calling them old wineskins. They weren't just old. They were wrinkly and hard and hard-hearted. And, and what he said is you put new wine and old wineskins, both are going to be, be lost. The wineskins going to burst as the, the fermentation takes place and the, the, the wineskin starts to expand because it's hardened. It can't take it. Then it bursts and the wine is spilled and the wineskin is destroyed he's saying new wine must have new wineskins. And, and the picture for us, the application for us is we need to make sure that we're soft to the things of God, that we're, that we're open to what God wants to do today. Now, I don't believe he, he's doing things he's never done before or ha- is doing all sorts of things he never said he'd do. I think he's fulfilling the promises he's made in scripture that have yet to be fulfilled. And so as we read the word and we're familiar with it and things are going on, we can gauge and, and, well, we can test everything by the scripture. And we're instructed, by the way, exhorted to do just that. Well, anyway, there's another issue. And in Acts chapter two, the um, spirit of God is poured out on An upper room is 120 are gathered together, waiting for the promise of the Father, waiting for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the spirits poured out on them. They begin to speak in languages they've never learned, praising God and magnifying Him. In the streets below, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, those from Mesopotamia and from all over were gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And because of that, they hear those in the upper room magnifying God, worshiping God in their own native tongues and their own languages. And they say, well, what does this mean? Some are just like, whoa, what's this? And some are like, ah, it's a bunch of drunks. And of course, that's ridiculous. There's a lot of things drunks do. But speaking in foreign languages, actual languages, they never learned. I never heard that one and don't expect to. And so anyway, Ephesians 5 builds on that whole issue, but one more thing, Peter gets up and says, hey, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose, but this is that spoken of by the prophet Joel saying in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, this is not an absolute fulfillment of that promise and prophecy because it's being poured out on the 120 and then the group gathered there, 3,000 of them, by the way, give their life to the Lord that day. But, but it's a down payment. It's the beginning of something. He says, and the day will come when all flesh will experience this reality as the Spirit is poured out on all. Now, the idea of the Spirit poured out is that the Spirit would fill them and enable them and control them so that, that they'd be yielded to Him. He would direct their thoughts. He would direct their actions. He would empower their ministries it's important to us because it's a perfect uh, contrast and comparison. When somebody's filled with wine, old or new, the wine controls their thoughts. The wine controls their speech. They stammer and slur and stutter. The wine controls their walk. They stumble and, and can't walk straight. You can see if someone's drunk by just looking at listening to and observing them. Likewise with the Holy Spirit. The difference being nobody ever got up the next day after the Holy Spirit filled and used them and said, oh man, I got such a headache. No, that doesn't happen. There's no such thing as a Holy Spirit hangover. There's just the need for more of the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. So Paul will say in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine, and which is dissipation, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I bring this to your attention because if they needed to be filled with the Spirit to successfully minister for the Lord, don't we need that same filling? And, and, and here's how we can know, because there are a lot of people saying, well, this is the evidence or that's the evidence. Here's what Paul says, and I would think he'd be the one who would know. He says, here's, here's what should happen and will happen if you're filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He says, you will be sharing the word of God, but not just the word, the beautiful, comforting psalms and the hymns of scripture and the spiritual songs like the songs we sing. Then it says singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So speaking, singing, and thanking God and then submitting to one another in the fear of God. It's speech seasoned with grace, hearts
0: filled with gratitude and humility. Why does it feel so good to praise God? Why, when we hear others lift up the Lord in praise, does it sound so sweet to our ears? Psalm 22:3 tells us, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, this is an amazing thought. When we offer our praise and worship to the Lord, it doesn't just bring us closer to him. He is in the middle of it. I remember thinking before I was a Christian, why does God need to be praised so much? What's the deal with that? No, it's not that God needs our praise. We are the ones with the need. We need to praise him.